podcasts and listening to people, mm-hmm. other people talk. That's the reason I started this whole thing is because I saw so much value in like the podcasts that I was listening to mm-hmm. that I was like, you know, there's probably so many people out there that I can actually talk to one-on-one and direct the conversations mm-hmm. kind of the way that I want to go mm-hmm. and learn more mm-hmm. um, to kind of try and find areas where like maybe they messed up or they succeeded. So I don't necessarily have to, or I can recognize it when it's happening. Right. Um, yeah. And that's the whole idea of this and to just get better at conversation. Yeah. Cause I think it's a really important for sure aspect of life. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned a lot in mine. I don't know if you know, but I have, mm-hmm. yeah. I've learned a ton. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My mom told me, I don't, when did you start yours? I started in like the first episode, I think I launched in like May, 2019. Okay. Yeah. So my mom mentioned it when you started it Mm -hmm. and it's for like parents trying to parents of athletes, parents of athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trying to understand how to help their athletes succeed. Yeah. So I interview like professional athletes about their journey. And so it's cool, man. I've had like some, yeah, I've had some really (laughs) big people on. Yeah, I know. I I was just looking at that actually this morning. Um, and you've had like a bunch of us men's national team athletes. Um, I forgot what his name is. Jerome. The runner, is that his name? He was an Olympic. He's from Runner. He's he Oh um what's his name? Jaron. Jaron Solomon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jaron Solomon. Mm-hmm. Um I actually met him at because he used to do the cryo place mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um and I me and me and my buddy sat down and talked with him for like thirty minutes. Super nice guy. Yeah. yeah. Um and I saw him on yours and I was like, Oh yeah, I totally remember yeah. that guy. Yeah. But yeah, he told us like his story about just like we were asking him about training and stuff like that because mm. he, he was like a part owner in that place or he owned it outright himself. And then he right. trained on the side, mm. um, for Olympics and stuff like that, which is, yeah, it's cool, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, I can't imagine getting to meet like, and really talk to and try and understand the psyche of those athletes, yeah. which yeah. you get to do a lot like professional yeah. athletes. Cause that's like your whole business right now. Right. right. Yeah. Not just them, but working with anybody right. really, but that's yeah, who I've kind of yeah, geared towards. Yeah. And um professional soccer players mainly, right? right. Mm-hmm. Which is super cool. Yeah. How how did you get started in like cause you're doing transformative um like psychology, I suppose? Tra- I call it transformative life coaching. Transformative life coaching. Yeah. So man, how did I get into that? Yeah. Um I actually have a background in counseling and mm-hmm. I got my mental health counseling degree and I did it when I was working at the arena and, um, I wasn't finding like the arena was fulfilling. So I said, I want to do more. I want to help people. Um, I'd always had this love of psychology and how the mind works. And, um, I decided to go to grad school and then, I was talking to my CPA when I was close to finishing. I was like, I'm probably going to just sell the arena. And she said, Gabe, like, you have a really good business. And this is before we really exploded at the arena. Right. And um, I wanted to work with kids, but I also knew in order to do that, you had to work with the parents because you can't, you know, the, a lot of parents who go seek mental health counseling for their children, they're like, fix my kid. Right. But they don't want to look at themselves and, and take part of it. And so I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not really into this right now this stage of my life. So let me just focus more on the arena. And then we started little kickers and started building up the arena. Um, but I, I always had that 
that hole to fill in my heart till I help people. Mm -hmm. And um, a few years after we built the new building and the arena was really doing really well, you know, it was still kind of calling me to work with people. And my wife did a certification program. And within this program, she was assigned a coach to work with. And she, she started working with him. It was like, Gabe, like, you got to meet this guy. You know, you need to talk to him. So a few months passed and I had scheduled a call with him and just wanted to know a little bit more about him and how he got started, kind of exactly what you're doing right now mm -hmm. with me. And, um, you know, I said, I want to do what you do. And how did you do it? And he told me his story and his background. He basically started teaching kids guitar and then just started studying different philosophies and ideas and just kind of morphed it into coaching people. And about a year after we had that conversation, he started a certification program of his own. So my wife and I, we both did it and it really changed my life. Um, just the philosophy behind uh, his philosophy. It's right. just, it's unreal. And uh, it was totally, totally life-changing. And, um, and from there, you know, I said, all right, I knew the best thing for me that I've done in my career, actually my dad gave me the advice when I, before I started the indoor arena, he said, if you combine your passion and your hobby with a business, then that's how you'll grow. And that's what you'll love. You'll love what you do. And so right. that's when I started the indoor arena. So I said, all right, let me do it again. So I have this love and this passion of psychology and helping people and to mix it in, intertwine it with working with athletes, especially soccer players. That's like the magic ticket. So right just kind of took off from there and, you know, still building the business. Yeah. And, uh, now I'm, I'm slowly been removing myself from the indoor arena and selling different bits off. And, um, that way I can dedicate more time to the coaching. So you're actually like removing yourself entirely from the arena. I've been going slowly. slowly. I sold trying to uh, transition. Yeah. I, I closed the restaurant that's in there, um, in hopes of getting somebody to lease out that space. Right. And, uh, then COVID hit course. So yep. we, you know, we, uh, we've actually been shut down since March yep. and, um, of 2020. And so going on a year and little kickers portion, I sold to my best friend, um, I think in 2018. Okay. And, um, so yeah, I've just had the leagues and, you know, which is, it's a lot easier to run than the whole thing. Right. Yeah. That, um, the indoor arena is like such an awesome spot mm -hmm. just for like, I remember I haven't gone in a long time, especially now that COVID, I probably would have gone last summer, but, um, it's just like such a community spot for mm -hmm. us to like play soccer. I remember like the, the open gyms are so fun yeah. to just like hang out and, um, get to play with a bunch of random people, mm -hmm. which yeah. is, yeah, I feel like that's what like soccer is kind of about is like being able to just like play it with anybody, mm -hmm. um, and kind of wherever, which I mean, it's obviously at their arena, but it's like a really great place to just mess around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I love the community yeah. that's, that's there and you get to know everybody and their life story that yeah. we've had since we started in 2001. So if you think about it, you were what, about four years old. Yeah. Right. And uh, so we've seen people play as little children and now are having children of their own and we've been there that long, you know, it's so crazy. it's like this next generation. Um, You've had it since 2001. 2001. And you were yeah. up on copper, right? Right. Yep. We were in there for 10 years and then uh, now we're in our 10th year of the new building. So That's amazing. Yeah. And the second 10 years has just flown by a lot quicker than the first really? 10 years. Yeah. How yeah. was the first 10 years? Was that rough? Uh, not really. Actually, it was kind of just destined and meant to be. So I went in and... Um, 
I, after college, I was kind of at a loss of what to do, but I knew I wanted to run a business. That's when my dad gave me that advice to right. marry your hobby with a business. And the building was sitting empty. And one of my friends from high school and college, his dad used to run it, you know, Ricardo. Mm -hmm. um, and so we knew it was sitting empty for years. And um, I said, all right. So my friend, uh, Casey, it's been, we've been kind of joking around that we should open up the old building, open up the old indoor arena. So I said, all right, that's the idea right there. And after I got that yeah. advice from my dad, um, we went and fixed it up and we were going to compete. There was another arena in town up in the Heights on Morris and Candelaria. Okay. And that's where we were playing. And I said, you know what? Like they're up in the Heights. They have their different clientele. So we're going to go after the Latino demographic because um, that's who used to play there mostly. Yeah. So that was kind of our game plan and going in. And then the same month that we opened that arena closed. Oh, really? So yeah, it was just like, we had no idea that was going to happen. We were in the middle of the process and all of a sudden we got that news and we we're like, Oh my God, this is just like really destined to be. So we got all those customers. So um, that's, that's really important. That's kind of weird. I feel like that happens often here in <laughs> Albuquerque. Like mm -hmm. the, the UNM team, got cut, but now there's United Yeah, because like, that was a big thing for me. was the, um, UNM. Mm -hmm. Like when I was younger, we would go to those games and that's like, what would inspire you to go on to the next level. Right. And when they, when they like announced that they're cutting the team, I was like, that's so like sad and yeah. so depressing because that really did like inspire a lot of kids, especially my, my age mm -hmm. to like want to play on that field. Mm -hmm. You know, like that was like yeah, your goal. Absolutely. I remember when I started out at Fort Lewis, I was like, I'm going to play here two years and then try and transfer to UNM. Fell in love with Fort Lewis, the family, everybody there. Mm -hmm. So that was like off the table after that. But mm -hmm. like, that was what got me to Fort Lewis. Right. Yeah. It's, and when it closed, I was like, or when they cut the team, I was like, shoot. Yeah. But I didn't really think about United. Yeah. And that's like, they're huge. Right. <laughs> yeah. It just shows you that sometimes when one door closes, another one opens, mm -hmm. you know, and it's hard to trust that in life. And that's one of the things that I try and coach people is to trust in the universe because it can seem devastating. And it was devastating to a lot of people. And some people, it still is devastating that UNM soccer yeah. shut down. But then look at what it was replaced with. I mean, I it's, it's hard to say like, Oh, I missed UNM soccer now right. because that, um, you know, the one thing about UNM soccer is you get a lot more local players mm -hmm. and we're New Mexico United. You only have a couple players who are able to play at that level. Yeah. Um, but it seems like now this year actually with picking up Sergio Rivas, um, I know. You know that's, and, yeah. um, that's one of the Touche brothers. Oh yeah, that's right. I think yeah. Alex, Alex right? Touche. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So now, you know, you do see some local players, but that, you know, that was the one thing of yeah. UNM is you get a lot more local players um, to cheer for that. You, you remember as a youth player yeah. watching them grow up and Absolutely. now they're all of a sudden there and that's that motivation you were talking about. But yeah, but yeah you know, it's, for us, it was like this door shut. It wasn't our doors that shut at the indoor, uh, the, the old indoor arena, right. but it was a door that was shut. And for us, it just opened just naturally. So we, we knew it was destined to be and uh, somewhat similar thing happened when we opened the new building as well, where there was just, we had tried to find a new facility for years because 
as you remember that old building, it was, you know, literally it had holes in the wall. Yeah. You know, it was literally a hole in the wall. Yeah. Um, with no heat or very limited heat, yeah. no air conditioning at the time. And it was just uncomfortable, not in the best part of town either. And, um, but it served its purpose for us. And, um, but we also knew that we wanted to find somewhere else and right. we tried for years and years and years. And, um, even in the place that we are now, I tried to buy that land about two years before I actually bought it. And, um, we made an offer on the piece of land and the owner said, you know what, this is actually our counter offer. And we weren't even close. So I said, all right, let me just hold off on that. <sighs> and then we went back a couple of years later and, um, put in a very similar offer, maybe even a lower offer than we originally did. And we got word back from our realtor who said, you know what, they're taking your offer. They're not even going to counter your offer because they're in foreclosure. And oh, also um, the bank that they're foreclosing with is being bought out by another bank. So the FDIC said, just take the offer. So we got oh, it geez. at like an unreal price. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that just shows like, like understanding patience. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so throughout my life, I've been so like terrible with patience. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted things when I want them. Most people do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's common, but yeah. I think that there's so much like to be said about being able to wait mm -hmm. for something and the satisfaction and obviously the opportunity that it can give you mm -hmm. being able to wait for something rather than like try like really try and jump at it. Like, right maybe try and make that first offer work and then it doesn't help you out and mm -hmm. then things change. Yeah. doesn't work as well as it did. Yeah. Now, sometimes if you force things, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to wait for the flow to happen. And that's a really, really difficult thing for a lot of people, even adults to, to figure out is right. that patience, you know, but the more experience you get and the more you can see like, Hey, if I just let go of like really wanting this, um, because life is all about a balance. You know, you have to make things happen, but you also have to allow things to unfold. You know, you can't just try and make it happen all the time because you'll burn yourself out. You'll force things that aren't there. And obviously you can't just sit on the couch and say, I want to be a millionaire and just like yeah. wait for things to unfold because, you, you know, you have to participate. Mm -hmm. So it's a really delicate blend of making things happen and allowing things to happen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm interested in how you like so how old were you when you started the indoor arena the original i was 25 25 yeah so you had just gone to college and what were you doing before you started the arena so um i graduated and then i was managing a nightclub downtown oh. and uh, luckily that didn't work out for too long <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun but yeah. not the best environment for me um and i was coaching also okay. uh, at the time and uh but you know that's what you do when you're young you yeah. do stuff like that and um and then there were some circumstances at the club that it just didn't work out. So I left and um, I, I was substitute teaching. Um, and that's when, you know, I was like, okay, let me just get my bearings straight. I'm out of that environment. And uh, I learned a lot about the business aspect of it and especially yeah. what not to do in business. Um, so it was a great experience. And then kind of going into substitute teaching was something to just like regroup and, um, that's when I was subbing and I, I had that conversation with my dad and I started moving forward with the arena. So I did it relatively soon after I graduated. I think I was actually 24 during that process. And then we opened when I was 25. That's awesome. That there's, I love the, I've envisioned like opening a business mm -hmm. of my own for like 
so long since I was like in like my freshman year of high school, Mm -hmm. I like had plans for owning my own business. Obviously those plans have changed so many times and drastically because you know, your passions change obviously. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like, especially when you're young, because you don't like, you don't know, uh, very much. Mm -hmm. So like things just bounce around you're like, Oh, this, Oh, this, Oh, this. Yeah. And I try like, I think it's really important for me to like try as many things as I can Mm -hmm. just to like see. So I've like dipped my toes into way too many things. And then I think it's good for me, but it also like brings me down a little bit because like I'm never like seeing anything through. Mm. Um, Like I, I get pretty good at things that I try, Mm. but then I'm like, maybe I don't really like this. Mm -hmm. And I try something else. Yeah. It's natural. Right. You know, yeah. It's nothing to be ashamed of yeah. or anything. Um, Cause yeah, you don't ultimately, you don't want to do something you're not into. Right. You know, it's better to just really love what you do. And so many people get stuck in that, right. They go to school for something they don't love mm-hmm. and then they move into that. And I did that. Actually, I have my, my bachelor's in broadcast journalism mm-hmm. and um, I had my minor in psych. I was close to double majoring and, um, but some, you know, I, I didn't, I decided to just minor in psychology and I did an internship um, at uh, one of the local news channels in the sports department because that's what I was like, I want to do this. And then once I started to see like kind of their lifestyle and I was like, eh, you know what? I don't want to do this. But I was like a, a, or two semesters away from graduating. So right. I was like, I'm, let me just stick with it, but not follow through with it. And um, as far as a career, yeah, which is the best thing for me, you know? Um, but I gained experience doing that and, you know, was able to do podcasting because of it yeah. and, and different things. So, was, you know, you always get all these different experiences and you can eventually, it's going to lead to something that you love. Mold them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's like little aspects from everything that's going to teach me something in the future, you know, like trying all these different things, something out of all of them is going to give me maybe a slight edge or just like, uh, oh, I remember this, so I can do this. Mm-hmm. Just some experience that <clears throat> I may not have had if I didn't try that specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've always wanted to start my own business. So I really like the, just the idea of like that, those first like few, like the, un, before you open, like getting everything ready. Mm-hmm. And then like the first couple years after that, like are really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because obviously like that's the most crucial time in a business is like the first few years Mm -hmm. in the startup Um, and figuring out if it's actually going to be viable. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at the beginning, it's like a big, like, we'll try it. Right. And if it fails, then it fails. Mm -hmm. But um, it sounds like you guys like got set up like perfect. Yeah, we did. And and we were blind to it too. You yeah. know, I had a little bit of business experience, but not much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was immersed in the soccer community. So we knew a bunch of people and we were literally handing out flyers. That's how we got our first customers. Um, and I think our saving grace was, you know, we didn't, I didn't have this like five or 10 year plan. Like that's not how my mind operates. Right. And we were able to just focus on what we were doing in that moment and trying to make it better and better and better. So we weren't thinking like, Hey, I'm going to build a building in 10, 15 years and we're going to move everything over there. It was like, what can we do to make the customers happier and happier and and how can we learn? And that's really 
how you should approach life is being present in the moment instead of, you know, you have to have some idea of what you want in the future, but instead of being so focused on the future, have to be much more focused on the present. And I think that's where a lot of businesses struggle and fail. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of anxiety about the future and unknown. Mm -hmm. So everyone tries to plan so much for the future when inevitably it's going to change. Yeah. Um, Exactly. I think that like, I've always been like a future planner Mm. trying to understand like what I want to do in the future and how, how I want things to play out. And that's what I've learned is that it's never going to turn out the way that you plan it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that like the present moment is like the most important aspect of life. Like you can plan as much as you want in the future Mm -hmm. and there's always going to be something that throws it off. Yeah. Which, um, there's some like, uh, I feel like there's, it kind of releases you from that anxiety if you think about it in that mm-hmm. way. Cause you're like, well, there's nothing that I can really do to set it up perfect. Mm-hmm. Like I can come up with a plan and then we'll have to n- change the plan Yeah, at some point. Exactly. Yeah. You have to just kind of let it go mm-hmm. say, this is what I want. I, you know, but who knows? Let's just focus on right now. Right. It's a big key to happiness. Just yeah. like you mentioned, if you focus on too much on the future, it builds so much anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, but, and if you focus too much on the past, then it's, that's what leads to depression and sadness, yeah. you know, and regret. Um, but you can use the past as a lesson in life and you can use the future as just something you want to create and that, you know, you can create, but it's important to be grateful for what you have in the moment and then just really, really focus on the presence and, and making the business better. Yeah. That that mindful area in between that Mm. is like obviously what you're focused on right Mm -hmm. now. How did you get to the point where you were like knew that you wanted to transition out of the arena and all that stuff because Mm. you said it wasn't fulfilling you. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when was that moment and like, how did that come about? Uh, I think it's just something I always had. And, um, you know, again, it's something I, just put out there into the universe that, Hey, I want to do this and work with athletes and on a deeper level. Um, and just meeting my coach who I still work with and doing that certification said, okay, this is the right time. You know, um, I wasn't going out looking on the internet, like how can I be like a transformative life coach or some kind of life coach? Um, I just put it out there and it came to me and, um, I guess it was around then. So that was, I think, 2000, 17 when I started that business and, um, you know, been slowly building it because the indoor arena is, is our main income as a family. So, right. you know, I haven't let that go yet. And obviously right now it's, you know, it's difficult to do anything with, uh, what's happening with coronavirus and that our state won't allow us to open. Right. Um, but you know, I know that it's just divine timing and it'll all work out when it's supposed to. So with that, it being closed, have you been doing more life coaching or have you been like kind of just stuck in this like unknown this area? Void. Yeah. Um, a little bit of both. So at first I was like, all right, I'm going to dedicate more time. And you know, I've got a bunch more clients. And then I uh, started working on this project called the player empowerment program, which is all like hundred percent online program for youth athletes, 13 and older. And then a parent program as well. And I was busting out podcast after podcast. And um, 
something inside of me was saying like, dude, like you're not enjoying like this coronavirus experience right now. You know, you should slow down, mm -hmm. literally slow down. And um, I ignored that for a while and I just kept going. And then finally I had a conversation with a friend of mine we were talking about another coach um, and um, who's always been like, just go, go, go. And, you know, it's hard to get a hold of him. And, um, and my friend said, it was like, oh yeah, I talked to him and uh, I thought he would have slowed down. And uh, my friend said, no, he's actually got busier somehow, even though there's no soccer going on. And then I thought to myself, I was like, that's the exact same thing that I did. I got busier and I decided to be like, you know what? Let me just shut down. Let me be present with my son. Um, especially we started homeschooling, uh, really unschooling. And I said, I don't want to just start working again at the indoor arena saying, you know what? I didn't give myself a break. And so I decided to just be like, all right, I'm not going to go out looking for any more clients right now. I'm just going to just finish up with the ones that I have. If they want to continue, great. If not, great. And um, I slowed down for the first time in my life because I've always been a go, go, go mm -hmm. type guy and do, do, do. And uh, that was a really, really interesting experience to just totally let go of having to do so much because we become like these human doings instead of human beings, you yeah. know. And that balance that I was mentioning, you know, it's so important to, you have to participate if you want to be successful, participate in life and professionally. Um, but you have to have that balance of nurturing yourself and to just be. And for so long, I wasn't nurturing myself. And I was just do, 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 because that's how you become successful, right? In this right. world that we believe that we you know, that's how <clears throat> you have to be successful is to just go, go, go all the time. And uh, I've learned that that's not healthy. You know, it's not healthy for your spirits, not healthy for even your physical body. Like I started to feel like these physical manifestations in my body. And when I started to look at them, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, I'm, I'm being too rough on my body just by going, I'm not relaxing. I'm not nurturing myself. <clears throat> um, so that's been really, really interesting to go through that. It's almost like this ego death, you know, cause our ego says like in order to feel important, we have to make a certain amount of money. We have to live in a certain kind of house. Our business needs to do this, or we need to be seen in this certain way. Um, and I was operating from that on an unconscious level. And to let go of that and to really just be immersed in the present moment, it's a, it was a challenging thing because, you know, you get all of your, your feel-good stuff by achieving certain things in life. Yeah. Well, when that's no longer there and... For me, all I was doing really was homeschooling and, um, which is a challenging thing if you've experienced yes, with is. your brother. Yeah. Um, it was a really good eye-opening experience because for stuff to come up and be like, you know what, Gabe, like you are more than what you've achieved in your life, you know? And, um, and now going through that, I'm starting to rebuild that energy and those ideas like business ideas yeah. are starting to come through again. Um, whereas before they weren't, you know, it was totally like my soul was being like shut down. Um, and anytime we do that, anytime we stay busy with doing different things, we keep ourselves distracted from emotional stuff that's been buried, different programs that have been running for since our childhood or different things that, you know, we refuse to look at and we just stay busy, busy, busy. So we don't feel those difficult feelings. But so when you shut down like that, helps those emotions rise to the surface. And we can either get stuck in that cycle of feeling those, those feelings and the thoughts that are coming through, or 
we can say, you know what? I know this is something for me to look at and let me really feel and sit with all this stuff. And that's the best way to work through it. And right. once you work through that, then like you're, you're back plugged into the universe. And that's what my experience at least. And that's, that's what I help my clients do as well. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important for you to be able to do that, especially if you're going to coach other people yeah. on how to do it. Exactly. Um, I have lit, I literally just was talking with my girlfriend about this. I was like, I don't know that there's ever going to be a point in my life where I feel fully fulfilled mm. because like, I, like literally what you were just talking about is what I feel like nonstop. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I have to be working at something like a hundred percent of the time. Mm -hmm. And like, I even have like, I can't sleep in. Mm. Like if I sleep in past like six 30, I feel like I'm wasting time. Mm. Um, if I just like sit for a little while and do nothing, I feel like I'm wasting time where I could be like building something or planning something, mm. you know? And I, like I said, I just talked with my girlfriend about this and she's like really mindful about being like very, um, grateful for what she has mm -hmm. right now mm -hmm. and what she's done. Um, she's like a high succeeder as well. She really wants to succeed at everything, but she's, I think she's much better at it. She's talked to me in the past about like being worried about me getting lost in like work. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that I've like been trying to find a balance, especially now cause I'm at home so much and like I value my family like a lot. Mm. Um, so I've been like, I need to like just set aside time where it's like just dedicated to like hanging out with my family and mm -hmm. understanding that that is valuable in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than like, uh, just thinking that work is the only thing that's valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a weird, <laughs> like, I don't really know how to handle it. Yeah. Now it's tough, especially for men, you yeah. know, men are conditioned and programmed to believe that, you know, you have to go, go, go. And that's part of like the doing and the being aspect. The doing is a masculine trait and the being is a feminine trait. That's why women are much better at just like chilling and relaxing. It's very interesting. Um, but we all have a feminine side. You and I both do. Mm -hmm. And women, they have a masculine side as well, you know, so they need to achieve their own balance. Um, and, but with men, you know, especially the way society's conditioned and, and your parents are go-getters, you know, yep. they're do-do-doers. So you've received that programming as well. Yep. Um, and the way we're conditioned, the way we're, we're taught to believe is really, it's this big illusion. And this is part of the work that I do. It's called the outside-in illusion. And the fact that we are set to believe, we're programmed to believe that something from outside of us creates our experience, you mm -hmm. know, um, like if your team scores a goal, you think the goal directly led to your happiness when, you know, in fact, that goal is a neutral thing because if the goal leads to happiness, the other team would feel the exact same way. You know, you would feel the exact same way about that goal like 20 years later, but you don't like your feelings fade because of that. The other team has a totally different experience, which is based on their thinking in the moment. And that's the only thing that ever creates our experience that 
how we experience life is our thinking in the moment. And we give so much power to our thoughts. Um, sometimes not such a powerful, like so, not such a great and, and positive effect. Um, we can get lost in our thoughts and we don't understand that that's what's actually creating our experience. It's not the car you drive. It's not the house. It's not the wins that you've had. It's not the amount of money you make. It's not your girlfriend. Like those things can help us with our experience, but ultimately it's our thinking that creates our experience. Right. And the more we tune into that, the more we realize we don't experience life from the outside in. Those things are all neutral in reality. We experience life from the inside out. Our experience is created from our thoughts and those can change over time. So the more we understand that, that leads to a higher level of consciousness and awareness of the fact that we are in control of our experience based on our thinking. It's a lot of times we feel out of control and the life happens to us, but really we happen to life. Right. You know, that's, that's really interesting. Cause I was just thinking about, um, how every time I've seen you at, uh, the indoor facility, you've always been like super calm, um, extremely like inviting, like mm. very nice presence. Mm. Um, and I try and think about myself and I've had like anger problems in the past and like, just, I let like, I, even now I still struggle with the anger and stuff like that, but I have been working towards like getting much better at like self-talk because mm. I've figured out, um, kind of what you're talking about is just like, no matter what is happening to me, like depending on the way that I think about it is the way that I'm going to react. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've like, <clears throat> I'm not always that person mm. that's like someone that you want to approach. Mm. Like <laughs> definitely not. Um, so I've, I was just thinking about that because it's, I, I can see that you've found that, um, ability. I mean, or I've just found you on only good days. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> found me at the perfect time. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have anger, I have tons of emotions yeah. and, um, but I think, yeah, you have caught me in, in different times, but yeah, I've experienced a lot of stuff, you yeah. know? Um, and a big part of what I've learned and what I try and teach people is to really just sit with it because we can view like anger as this bad, horrible thing that we shouldn't feel and we don't want to feel and we don't like how we react. But if we just avoid it and say that's not good, instead of just allowing ourselves to feel the anger fully, yeah. then we, it's always going to be there. And, um, you know, and you can feel anger and still not do anything about it. And just to witness the feelings, to feel it, and then understand that, Hey, I'm experiencing some thinking and where's this coming from? You know, but if we live in this outside in illusion, we say, okay, I have this anger. It's caused by this person or it's caused by, you know, something that happened to me recently. Mm -hmm. And the more we blame and don't take responsibility, the more it's just going to be there. Yeah. That's actually something I wrote down in my show notes because I've been, I was thinking about like your, the life coaching, transformative life coaching. And mm -hmm. I, looked into a little bit of your stuff and I was thinking like, um, I was going to ask you, what do you think of, um, people that, uh, like, like the victim mentality. Mm -hmm. I think that that's like something, especially my generation, it seems like right now is really good at like bowing towards is like just trying to find a reason mm -hmm. that, 
their life isn't the way that they want it to be mm -hmm. or find someone to blame for what's happening mm -hmm. or in their life and outside of their life mm -hmm. and really struggle with like taking the blame. Yeah. It's, it's common, you know, and because, and it's something that's been going on for generations and eons. And that's why we have wars, right? We blame the other side for like, Hey, we want that, or you did this. Now we're going to do something about it physically. And I feel like now it's exacerbated even more because of social media and the amount of media that's around. And we can say like, Oh yeah, you know, I feel like I should be like that and I'm not like that. So now I'm going to be upset because it's somebody else's fault. You know, um, that is that victim mentality you're talking about. And that's a, some people carry that for their whole lives. And it's unfortunate because you know, that is living from the outside in instead of the inside out, like I was talking about. So the more you can really take responsibility and understand that you are in control of your own destiny. You're the master of your own domain um, because it's our thinking that creates our reality, as I mentioned. But if we are always living in this victim mentality, you, you won't graduate to that level. Right. And some people figure it out early. Some people figure it out when you're my age and right. then some people will never figure it out. And they'll always live in that suffering um, because they're not taught to understand that they are actually in control. They are a powerful human being that they can control their destiny just based on accepting responsibility for, for everything that they do and everything that they think and feel. And it's not ever anybody else's fault. It can definitely feel like it, especially when somebody says something to you or does something to you, it definitely can feel like it's them, but it's always, or that it's you, but it's always them. It's always a reflection on, on them, you know, and I've started to see that in people at the indoor arena for years, you know, that they get mad at the referee and whatever, but ultimately you're always, it always boils down to you, right? Cause your ego speaks only when it's under threat that you're not good enough, mm -hmm. you know, and that is the ultimate fear of the ego and everything goes down to those root causes. It's that fear of not being good enough. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I think that Sports really facilitate an area where you can learn that. Um, and I've found that recently because I've like, I'm sure you've seen me at the indoor arena. I was that guy that would like get angry at the ref or other players or something like that. I've probably been kicked out of the arena a few times. <laughs> um, but I went like through college and being like, wanting to actually play at the next level, like changed the whole, my whole outlook on life, like completely. And like, honestly, perfect timing because a lot of the things that have recently happened in my past would have probably been like really destructive to me had I not changed the way that I look at life mm. um, before that. But like my freshman year of college, I had rage issues and it was almost never towards anyone else. It was all a self-reflection of like, it was all me, like things that I was doing were never good enough. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that boiled down to like how I was coached when I was younger mm -hmm. and just not understanding, um, how to like work around that. Mm -hmm. But my freshman year, I would get kicked out of training all the time, freshman in college, um, get kicked out of training all the time. Mm. And my coach was just not happy with me. Sure. <laughs> and like, 
right before the second semester, I was like, I like actually want to play here. Mm-hmm. I've actually found a passion for soccer. I didn't really like soccer until I went to college, which is something in itself. But um, I found the passion for it. And I was like, I'd really love to like play with these guys, like actually play on the field. And I'll never get there if I keep acting the way that I do. Mm. And so like, the whole next semester, every time something bad happened to me, I told myself that I was going to reframe the thinking Mm. and make it a good thing, Mm -hmm. no matter what it was. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I reinforced that is like every time a negative thing happened, I would say like, I would find a positive out of it and like repeat it in my head like three or four times. Mm. And that like completely changed the way that my whole brain operated Mm -hmm. on everything. And it was only because of soccer. Like it was focused for soccer, mm-hmm. but it ended up bleeding into like everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that there are other people out there that have had this happen to them maybe at earlier stages of sports because they like, they wanted to do that mm-hmm. and maybe not the same way, but that was the way that I did it. And it, it was the, the best thing that has probably ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had friends here in Albuquerque who saw me like before I left. And then the next year they were like, you're a totally different person. Mm -hmm. Like it's so much easier to be around you. You're much more fun. Um, Nice. And they were like, they were my friends before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't even know how you like hung out with me before this because I was like a wreck. Like I couldn't take jokes very well. I was Mm -hmm. just not a super good person to be around, Mm -hmm. but Um, I like, I look back on that moment as like one of those, I hear this a lot. I'm not really old enough to know that much about it, but there are like a few moments in your life that like really alter the way that you perceive life, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that that will forever be like a big moment in my life because now, even when I like lapse and go back a little bit, I can look back on that moment and be like, I did that in the past mm-hmm. so I can do it now. Yeah. You know, it's very wise, you yeah. know? Yeah. We're, we're built to love. That's how we come out. We are these perfect little human beings when we come from our mothers and then we start to become programmed basically from day one, right. By the people closest to us, which is usually our family and their, their family and their family, all these generations, they've passed down trauma, um, to the next generation. And it can actually, there've been tests done on mice that like one mouse will receive some kind of shock or something. And then they've figured it out to that. If the next generation doesn't receive the actual shock that they will still feel that trauma. They'll be afraid of the thing that shocked their parent. And it will go like that for seven generations, finally by the eighth generation. So none of those seven generations received the actual trauma in between, right? It was just this first one. And then finally to the eighth generation, they're not afraid of the mechanism that shocked the one from wow, really? eight generations previously. And so they assume that humans are the same way, right? But we obviously don't have that break. Like, right. you know, your parents, did, they received some sort of suffering in their life that they passed on to you and, and you will to your children as well. Um, so, you know, we are, we are born meant to love. And the more we can come back to that, that we are love. The more we 
understand that we're not perfect, but that we have the ability to love and that's all we're here to do, then everything else unfolds beautifully, just like you experienced. Right. And I, for me, um, even though this younger generation, like your younger generation, um, even though you experience more, you're bombarded with more images, social media and different things, um, and it's an easier way to, to achieve that victim mentality. Even though that exists, I believe your generation, you are starting to understand this aspect of love and doing what you love and, uh, and really sending that energy out into the universe. You're understanding that at a younger age than my generation or previous generations before them. Why do you think that is? Um, so we've entered in this new golden age and um, you know, into the age of Aquarius. We were in the age of Capricorn which is a very like male and like driven type mentality that's been going on for hundreds of years. And we just happened to shift into this um, on December 21st on the, the winter solstice. And if you remember, Saturn and Jupiter were lined up. Do you remember seeing them, the two planets yeah, out yeah. there? They were lined up at this time. That's the star of Bethlehem. That's when Jesus was born as well, which I think happens every 800 or some years. Um, that those two planets will align, or maybe it's more than that. Um, so we've entered this new age and it's been astrologically predicted for years. And this is the, the age of love, more love and more of the feminine energy of being and to do things more based on our heart, not so much on our mind and our thinking anymore. And your generation, you know, anytime there is more, um, you know, social media can be this, this, this platform that can damage people based on them viewing things as I'm not good enough, but there's also more information being passed around yeah. as well and more connection. So people are starting to see these images of like love and harmony and really focusing on working on the internal side of your being. Um, so I think the fact that this information is spread so much faster um, has really been helping. And also things like, you know, the nice thing about coronavirus, you know, and of course a lot of people have suffered and died from it, but it's caused a lot of us to slow down in our mm -hmm. lives and to rethink about what are we doing? So it's almost been this catalyst for us to have change. And, and I'm sure you've experienced it. And I know I've experienced it as well, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's been, I've had more time, like we had to shut down the restaurant in the summer for a couple of months mm -hmm. and during that time, I was only with my family and we would like go on walks every afternoon together. Mm -hmm. I was running with Brendan to get him, trying to get him fit and trying to get myself fit because I was still playing soccer. Mm -hmm. um, and we were just like building stuff. Like we built this whole thing last summer. Mm -hmm. um, it's nice. All together. And it was like a really fun process. Yeah. We like made this whole table and like we cleaned out this, this whole garage was stacked eight feet high with boxes that hadn't been opened in 20 years. Wow. And I was like, you know what? This is a perfect time because my mom isn't distracted by work. Mm -hmm. She works all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I have nothing better to do. Mm -hmm. And the whole family's here. We can just knock this out in a couple of weeks and be done. And it was a ridiculous process because a lot of it was like my mom's stuff or my mom's dad's stuff. Mm -hmm. from working at the Los Alamos National Labs and just letters and all this memorabilia. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what do we do with this? Yeah. Like when 
I have such a hard pro, uh, a hard time with keeping things because I'm like, when am I really going to like look back at it and mm. actually get some value out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom is very much the opposite. She's like, I want to keep everything because maybe I'll look back at it at some point. Someday when I stop working. Right. And <laughs> which, you know, maybe, but yeah. I don't, I don't foresee <laughs> myself doing that with a lot of things. Yeah. So it was a, it was a, it was a hard process for me to get push my mom to like let a lot of this stuff go mm-hmm. because it was trash. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that like she's probably won't think about ever again. Mm-hmm. And then finding things that were like important. And a lot of that stuff ended up on the shelves here. Yeah, like I can I've tell got, some vintage stuff. Yeah. I got a bunch of my grandpa's like war stuff and mm-hmm. some of his books and wow. Yeah, an old Macintosh, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Wow. But awesome. um, yeah, that was like a really interesting time where we were just like all together mm-hmm. focused on just each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely brought us like really close. Yeah. Uh, we've, al- we've always been like a close family, but like I can definitely, I can see it so much in my brothers, mm-hmm. like how family oriented they are. Mm. It's like, it's, it makes me really happy yeah. to see that because I know of a lot of other families that are just falling apart. Right. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's all because you had to slow down, right? There wasn't soccer practice as much, as much as I love soccer, you know, kids sometimes just, especially at a higher level, they get so sucked into that. That's all they do, yeah. you know, and there is so much more to life, you know, and it, it's possible to achieve more of a balance because, I think a lot of soccer players, what they'll do is they'll go to practice, they'll come home and play video games and and do some homework and that's it, you know, and there's so much more to life if you've experienced and doing things that doesn't involve a screen and also helps you replenish your spirit, you know, to where you are digging through those old memorable times. And even though there was junk in there, it's still probably really cool to find a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah. My mom, it took her a really long time because she wanted to like read through like she found a box of her mom's old letters. Wow. And she, she's got a lot of interesting stuff with her mom and her mom, like how she acted and stuff like that. So having her being able to read through all of that was a a really big insight to my mom about like who she really was Wow, that she may not have known when she was alive. Mm. Um, so like there was a lot of good that came out of clearing that Mm. for sure. I mean, I think that, when you have something like that, it just creates unnecessary anxiety. Mm-hmm. When you have like right now, our house has moved more towards that again because Lachlan's eight and he has gotten so many hand-me-down toys and then we buy him toys and mm-hmm. he never knows what to do with them and just throws them everywhere. Right. So all of that creates so much anxiety mm-hmm. that like, I was like, we got to get this out of this garage so that we can like park our cars in here and just not have to think about it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's helped so much for my mom's, my mom's already so chaotic with work Mm. that when she has to like come home and see complete chaos, right. doesn't help. It does not help. Yeah. Yeah. That clutter, if you have a cluttered environment, it's going to clutter your mind, just Mm -hmm. like that anxiety that you talked about. And that's kind of, a really, really big important thing moving into the future is to focus on clutter and letting things go because we have such a hard time 
of letting things go in our lives. Some people do, other people don't. Um, and yeah, my mom is the exact same way. She's got stuff and I'm like, I hope you take care of this stuff soon. So I don't have to take care of it later. Um, um, but a lot of people have a hard time, you know, there's, it's something about that attachment that they just can't let go. And, and that's a big, big part of growing is understanding. Sometimes you have to let go of what no longer serves you. Yeah. Um, and just let it go and allow memories to be memories. Yeah. For my mom, it probably like leads back to her mom. Cause her mom was a hoarder, like mm-hmm. an actual hoarder. Mm-hmm. There were like three feet of newspapers mm-hmm. just around the, the whole perimeter wow. of the house. It was crazy. Her, my mom's old bedroom at their house was piled like six feet high with my grandma's clothes. Oh, wow. And so was her, her mom's room. Mm. Like her mom had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of clothes that were just sitting in piles. Wow. And my mom, they had to go through all of that when they died. Mm -hmm. And my dad, they, uh, remodeled the house and sold it and everything. So Mm -hmm. they had to go through all of that. Mm -hmm. And they were like, what happened here? Like, how did it get to this? Yeah, It's so it's hard for me not to be empathetic towards that because Mm -hmm. she grew up in that sort of environment Mm -hmm. where everything, even the daily newspaper was important. Yeah. Um, but for me, it just like doesn't make sense. Yeah. So like, and I find that often with people, like I don't think the same way that a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. So I have to like really try hard to th- understand the way that they're feeling because it doesn't compute with me. Mm-hmm. So I have to like slow down and be like, okay, this person is thinking different than I am. Don't like get all upset yeah. because we're just thinking s- yeah. different ways. Yeah. Yeah. You could judge, sit there and judge them, but mm-hmm. then that's not going to help anything. And that's again, that's a really, really powerful thing to understand. It's like, right. hey, they're just experiencing their thinking and their programming. It's like we're we're all innocent beings. Like you didn't ask for programming. I didn't ask for programming from my parents, you know, but they gave it to me and they didn't mean to give it to me. They were just living life as as they experienced from their parents, right. you know. And that's what gets passed down. It's all just innocent misperceptions. So when some people are never aware of it, but now there's more and more people starting to become aware of it. Like, oh, this is just my programming I received. You know, I'm living through a certain lens. And the more we're aware of that, the more conscious we are, again, like I mentioned, that we're just experiencing our thinking, the easier it is to be like, okay, hey, that's an interesting thought. I know where that came from, but I'm going to move in a different direction and let me just sit with whatever feelings are coming up and I know it's going to pass. Like this is not going to last forever. So that programming is something that you work on with Mm -hmm. people, right? Mm -hmm. I feel, I feel that that's probably a very delicate process. Yeah. For some people. It can be, it can be rough, you know, because a big, big part of it is sitting with the feelings of what it's like, because you could, like I said, you can avoid, you can resist your thoughts and your feelings forever and keep yourself distracted with certain things. So what I do with my clients is I create a safe container, unconditional love, non-judgment and say, all right, what's coming up for you right now? And it's like, let's just sit with that feeling. Can you just welcome the pain that comes along with it? And there've been some really, really powerful sessions. And I've had that experience with my coach as well. Yeah. Just like crying my eyes out, um, just feeling 
the feelings of any kind of fear of the future or any kind of trauma from the past and just welcoming that and allowing it. And it's like physically exhausting. Oh yeah. Because we have our emotions and our thoughts are stuck, literally like stuck in our brains and in our spinal column. And and to just sit and allow them to be, that's what helps release them. And sometimes you have to keep doing it and keep reminding yourself, but that's part of the process. So it can be delicate, but that's my job is not to tiptoe around with my clients is to be like, Hey man, or Hey young woman, like, yeah, let's sit through this. Are you open to it? I always ask permission. I'm not like, Hey, you're going to sit there and feel your feelings today. You know, say, are you open to this? Cause they always bring up whatever is upsetting them. And then, um, you know, and it's always, if you think of an onion, you know, you have one layer and then you peel back and there's another layer. So what they may be feeling is just on the outside of the onion and we peel it back like, what does this remind you of? And, you know, right. and you keep peeling back the layers and you get to that inside core. And that's almost always like a feeling of a fear of not being good enough. And so we welcome that or whatever may be on the exterior of that feeling. Because um, sometimes you have to feel here first before you get to the right. root, you know, to feel that. Um, and so, yeah, once we peel back a little bit and say, all right, let's just sit with that fear. And then you're not resisting anymore. You can be like, all right, I understand. I'm just fearing a thought. That's all it is. You know, that probably is not going to happen. It's probably not true at all, but that's what I'm feeling. So let me just feel that. And then it just allows you to move forward so much easier. And it, but it's physically exhausting. Yeah. Have you studied like the actual chemistry or anything of the brain and like how it's set up? Not, not, very not much. in depth. No, yeah. but I understand that, you know, there's this, new kind of, I guess, philosophy of the heart-brain coherence, that if we focus in on slowing down our breath, it changes our system, our mental system and emotional system, and into one where we are experiencing more love and joy. Because anytime we are in the zone, so to speak, as an athlete or Mm -hmm. as a human or in flow state, we are experiencing life without fear without any kind of, um, I call contaminated thinking. It's like these negative thoughts, right? So anytime we can establish heart brain coherence and we are slowing down our breath and we are in this love flowing state, then that's when we get these ideas from the universe and we start to just trust and to just allow life to unfold instead of forcing it. But when we're stuck up here too much in our thinking and not enough here, then that's when we operate from more of our like reptilian brain of survival and needing to be this way or that way or to appear this way or make this amount of money or, or whatever it is. Yeah. That's what I was leading into is I've listened to some stuff on the brain. Um, I would like to say that I've read, but I, I can't read very well. So, (laughs) um, but there's a lot of like the actual part of your brain that, is in charge of like your cognitive thinking Mm -hmm. is not fully in charge. Mm -hmm. Like your, your monkey brain, as Mm -hmm. people put it, Mm -hmm. is the, the part of your brain that really leads your actions and your feelings, I guess, more than anything, not your actions, but your feelings towards everyday life. So, being able to like, you have to really work to override that monkey brain instinct mm-hmm. with the actual cognitive, like processing brain. Mm-hmm. 
And I find that like super interesting Mm -hmm. because you can't like really see that in your thinking. Like you can, after you reflect on it and after a while you can start to understand it, but your thoughts feel like the same no matter when you're thinking about them. Like maybe like you're angry and that thought pops up about why you're angry and how you're angry. But that the voice, I guess I'm trying to say is the same voice that is saying something like when you're really happy about Mm -hmm. something. Yeah. So it's super hard to um, decode like which brain is actually in charge at them at any moment. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, it's our, our ego and our, I call it just the love, yeah. right? Um, those two voices can sound the same. It's easy when you're frustrated and you're angry. You're like, okay, I know I'm operating from ego. Um, but the more quiet, there can be a more quiet ego as well that can sneak in there and say like, oh, no, I want this. I, this is good for me. And I think a lot of people are in there. And that's what denial is, mm-hmm. right? That they don't understand. They feel like there's, it's love. But without really slowing down, and being conscious of that is a possibility that you're not operating from this love state, that you are operating from ego still, um, then the more likely it is that you can sit there and observe and slow down. But I think, you know, one thing that people do is they just react, right? They have an experience, they feel an emotion, and then they react from it. And a big step in changing that is to just be aware and set that intention of like, hey, I'm going to respond instead of react from now on. Right. So I'm going to, which takes slowing down yep. and being aware of what you're thinking and what you're doing and what you're about to say. And so you're like, okay, am I helping the situation here? Or can I take a moment to respond um, to this instead of reacting out of emotion? Um, it's a tough thing that even a lot of adults, people a lot older than me still struggle with. Oh yeah. I think I don't, there's, I'm sure that there's a lot of older people that understand how to interact with people, Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot that are like, I feel like they're upset about how the generation now is um, able to, like they have all this technology and stuff. They're able to communicate and then the victim mentality Mm -hmm. has really kicked in and hit like the older generation. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I'm sure that, that like you said, there's always been like this victim hood and victim mentality, but the ability to speak out on it now is so vast that everyone can hear it when someone's saying they're a victim Mm -hmm. and we get all these news sources that report on, um, not necessarily victims that maybe aren't really victims, but Mm -hmm. like in certain situations, people that maybe aren't, maybe shouldn't really be victimized, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And that older generation is having a tough time understanding that. Yeah. I mean, you think about it and I talk about this with my mom. She's, she watches the news every night, you know, and that just creates so much fear and anxiety. And I say, and I try and tell her, mom, that's not helping matters. You know, that's creating more suffering for you, more fear for you. But that's also how they grew up watching news. You know, there, there wasn't all these different news sources on, 
on social media and also just the internet, you know, they watch the news and the news has become accustomed to be like, Hey, let's suck these people in. You like, you can't forget like news while it gives you information. It's also, they, they morph it into a way to hook people in. Yeah. They're a business. Exactly. And their business is all about eyeballs. Yep. Yep. To make money off advertising. Yeah. yeah. I and, think, th- I'm, I wonder what your thoughts are on like the current state of just um, like how people are perceiving one another. Mm. I feel like right now it's really difficult. I think it's subsided, but especially during the Trump administration and leading up to the election, there was some pretty extreme like two sides. Mm-hmm. Um at least vocal mm-hmm. two sides. Mm-hmm. I think the vast majority of people were like the ones in the middle that are like, you know, I, I maybe subscribe to different ideals, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to yell at you about it. Right. But, um, I wonder what you think about all of that and how it's affecting people's brains and how we oh. think and operate. This is really polarized. This is a, polarizing experience um, because you not only have coronavirus, which I think has become a polarizing experience because I've even heard within the homes themselves with between a husband and wife, they view this completely separate ways. And that causes a lot of, of strife and suffering and anger and, and all kinds of different feelings because the wife is a little more loose and the husband is very tight and, or vice versa. Um, and that is happening not just within families, but obviously in society as well. There are people who are like masks, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, you know. Um, so it is causing, it can cause division. And um, the way my wife and I have approached it, luckily we're on the same page about it. And the fact that, yeah, it's a real thing, but also we're probably not handling the be- this the best with keeping businesses closed and keep kids away from school. Like there has to be a better way, which we're, we've been struggling with, especially in New Mexico. Oh yeah. Um, so we've under, we've taken the approach of like, we have our philosophy and our beliefs, but we're not going to be judgmental on other people. And we've had people within our family think different ways. And my mom's, you know, especially like freaking out, like, Oh no, you're, you sound like a Republican all of a sudden. And, <laughs> and I'm um, like, mom, it's not Republican or Democrat. This is about like, what's common sense. Right. Like we, we see our son suffering because he's not able to see his, his friends, yeah. you know, like this is not healthy long-term, you know, there has to be a better way yeah. to deal with this. So, you know, there's that issue. And then there, of course, is the political issue. And yeah, the, the Trump administration obviously incited a lot of anger and frustration from a lot of people. Um, for me personally, you know, I, I stepped much more in the middle and started to hear just both sides neutrally. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting listening to our governor and listening to our president. I felt like they were saying very similar things and talking to people in a very similar way, almost a demeaning way, both of them. Yep. And I'm like, you know, I was listening to our governor. I'm like, you sound like Trump. Yeah. And listening to Trump and saying, he sounds like our governor, you know? So it was very interesting to see that. And um, just made me feel like that's just the way that they're talking to people. And I also don't need to be programmed by them. You know, I don't need to be programmed by this fear and I don't need to be programmed that this is no big deal. You know, cause obviously it is a big deal, but obviously it's not healthy to live in fear all the time, um, which we've been fed. Yeah. 
I, it's, um, it's hard. Like we get sound bites Mm -hmm. from everyone that's in power. Mm -hmm. That's all we get pretty Mm -hmm. much. I think that it would help immensely if we had opportunities like this, Mm -hmm. where maybe like the two parties actually sat down and talked. Mm -hmm. And I think that that would bring a situation where all of the country would see that there are differences, but there are most likely a lot more similarities than there are differences Mm -hmm. in any of our candidates and any of our political parties or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, absolutely. It's, I talked about this with Sergio Rivas because um, like we had very different stances on the political system, but we were able to like just talk about it because we were sitting face to face talking about it mm-hmm. instead of like on Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, where yeah. you can just try and yell at somebody. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I don't think that enough of the community like actually talks to mm-hmm. people like sits down and has like a 10, even 15 minute conversation mm-hmm. with someone to try and like understand that person's thinking because everyone's situations are so drastically different mm-hmm. that it's hard to like get upset with someone about who they're voting for mm-hmm. without understanding the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Like maybe their f- whole family, like they have a business and that business provides all of the funds for their whole family. Mm-hmm. And with the Trump administration, maybe they saw a brighter future for their business. Mm -hmm. And with the Biden administration, they saw like the demise of their business. Mm -hmm. And in that situation, it's kind of like a no brainer for that person Mm -hmm. to like go with Trump Mm -hmm. because it's like their family, Mm -hmm. like that's their sole focus. Right. And people just are totally missing that side of how people operate. Mm -hmm. Like, They're just not, no one wants to know what you're feeling. They just want to tell you what is right. Right. Yeah. And it's created so much that division I'm talking about and a lot more judgment and that's not helpful. Yeah. So for us, for me and my wife, we've just been like, you know what? We have our experiences and our thoughts and we're going to allow everyone else to have theirs and we don't need to judge them. Like it's fine. If they want to vote for Trump or Biden, whatever, we're going to vote for who we're going to vote for. Yeah. And we're, trying not to keep it based on a one issue per se, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, it's interesting what you said about, you know, we do get sound bites, you know, and I've seen even Trump has, has been unfairly and with certain things, like yeah. he's done it to himself, oh, of yeah. course, <laughs> but there have been certain things where he'll say one thing, but then you hear the whole clip for like five, 10 minutes. And you're like, Oh, actually they just took one little sample, you know? Um, of that. And I'm sure it happens um, to Biden as well, you know, and and he's been unfairly portrayed as well. I feel in certain aspects and dynamics, Um, but this kind of setting, and I had this conversation um, back, I think in the summer, um, it would be nice instead of like a debate. If we, if every candidate was on like Joe Rogan or whoever, you know, to just interview and you could hear them and they're not trying to, you know, just squeeze in something within 30 seconds or two minutes even. Um, meanwhile, like lashing out on, on the person on the stage with them, yeah. you know, 
Um, that way you can actually hear their full platform because from everybody, from, you know, the Green Party, Howie, whatever his name was, to uh, the Libertarian, I can't remember her name, um, you know, to Biden and Trump. Like, it would be nice to just sit there and listen to just them. Instead, when you have a debate, which is for some reason, it's only two people up on there, even though there are other parties, yeah. you know, and my personal opinion is if, if you're on the ballot in all 50 states, you deserve to be on the debate stage. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, it would be nice instead of them being face to face and attacking each other, if you could just hear everything as difficult as it may be for people to listen to Trump for an hour or two hours on Joe Rogan or somebody else. Um, and vice versa for Joe Biden, it's important to yeah. hear as much as they can without being interrupted, without being insulted. You know? Yeah. I, I, this did happen in the past. I mean, I was literally just doing homework with Lachlan the other day and they talked about, um, oh shoot. I forgot even the president's name, but mm. one of the presidents went around and would, talk in squares for mm -hmm. hours, mm -hmm. like literally hours, like five hours mm -hmm. about his plans and policies and people would mm -hmm. sit there and listen. Yeah. And there's something really important about that scenario that I think a lot of people do not understand is you cannot fake what you're trying to do for that long. Right. Like you can't put on um, a face for that long. Mm -hmm. Because you're like five hours, you're going to get tired yeah, and you're going to start getting confused and stuff like that. Mm. Even two, three hours, you know, mm. it should be like mandatory mm. to just have each guest sit down and talk about what they want to do with the mm. country. Mm. And it's honestly absurd that we're not doing it now with the internet. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you can listen to it whenever you want. Mm -hmm. Do it a couple of months before the voting. Let everybody listen to it. Mm -hmm. And then you guys can have rebuttals. Mm -hmm. Like we could do all of this over the internet or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have to be two hours condensed mm -hmm. about every topic imaginable. Mm -hmm. It's also crazy. I was looking at when the, when the, election was happening. I was mm -hmm. looking at Joe Biden's website mm -hmm. and all of the things that he was like for. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's no reason one person should be in charge of all of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's too big a job for one person to handle. No. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it seems like the smart way of doing things would be, especially if we're electing people for it is like, Hey, let's elect the country will elect someone that is focused on the climate change or the, mm -hmm. the environment. Mm -hmm. um, one person is elected for military. Mm -hmm. One person is elected for social um, in the social environment. Mm -hmm. And then all of those people would work together. So mm -hmm. like they wouldn't be solely in charge of making those decisions, but they would be the head of that mm -hmm. area and they would communicate with everybody and have that happen. Yeah. There, Whether there, that's realistic, I don't know. But. There definitely needs to be some kind of reform. And yeah. even not just in the presidency, but the Senate as well. Like, why are these, there needs to be term limits, mm -hmm. you know, for these senators. Um, and they're, 
I think it's preposterous that now, you know, with uh, the Citizens United, that there can be unlimited funds going to these campaigns because then that just opens the door for these companies and mega corporations to just be like, this is who I want. I'm going to support them. Yeah. I'm going to throw in, you know, a hundred million dollars into their campaign and yep. boom, they're elected and, and that benefits them as a company, you know? Um, so there's a lot that needs to change. And obviously that needs to start with the youth and kind of uprising and, yeah. and us just not taking it anymore, you know, as, as people, but you yeah. know, we also, become so distracted with our phones and social media. They're like, okay, well, campaign's over and let's just wait to another four years yeah, from now seriously. to do it all over again. <laughs> let's get angry in four yeah. years. No, no. And, and eventually that's how everything, that's how change happens. It's from the citizens. We can't rely on the politicians to no. create change for us. You know? Yeah. I saw this video a few years ago about, cause they were talking about uh, the gay marriage, I think, mm. and how, Actually, I don't know. Gay marriage is not legal federally, I don't believe. Not federally. I think yeah. it's up to each state. So yeah. they were talking about how things get legalized federally. Mm. And it has, like, it once a, a certain amount of states legalize it, then federally they start to look at it. Mm. So it's, it is based on like your local elections, like what you mm -hmm. want to see in your community. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, it grows to the bigger community. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my best friends, he um, works in DC and he's always said that he's like, you know, you will, for you personally, your local elections will affect you much more than the federal elections. Yeah. Know. That's yeah. a reason why I was like, cause I didn't get, I was not super passionate about the presidential election. Cause mm -hmm. I was like most, most likely nothing, none of their changes will affect exactly. Me. Yeah. You know? So it was amazing watching people freak out and start screaming mm -hmm. about like anyone who gets elected. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, a Capitol riot just seems like, where are we going? Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's the, the downside of, of, you know, and of really focusing in on anger and frustration and, and that victim mentality. Cause you mm -hmm. could see it like Trump, that's how he yep. became elected. It's like he, he created this big pocket to be victims of the other side. And that just created this further division. And then that side, then they were saying, well, there we're victims of them now. So it just created so much more and it's been going on for years and years yeah. and years, but it really became exacerbated and, and, you know, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to kind of mend, but with this, these ideas that it's us against them all the time, you know, it's not, not healthy. Um, Super not healthy. I think it would be really great for like everybody who is on one side to like go talk to someone that's on the other side yeah. and just try and understand. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, we've gotten that perspective. My, my wife is from a small town in Texas and her family focuses on something different than our family does, but, um, they're good people. Yeah. And, and it was really interesting. Um, years ago, my wife and I took an Uber and we were talking to the driver and, and he had mentioned that he drove around the country and uh, just talking to people. I said, well, what's one thing that you learned? And he said, it's like, you know, he was saying, I'm more liberal, but meeting conservative people he said they are really good people. And, and essentially everybody is, Yeah, 
you know, not everybody, like there are people who are still struggling and living through that victim mentality and they're suffering, but even then they're, that's just innocent misperception in them. You can view them as like they're bad people, yeah. but they've just are living through their thinking and their suffering. Um, and people may have different thoughts about whatever gay marriage, marijuana, abortion, taxes, whatever it is, military, you know, but ultimately at the deep root, they are good people inside. Yeah. You know, they may have things to work through and may, once they achieve more, or, you know, kind of remove more of their, they're living through their ego and get into that love state, things may shift for them mm -hmm. politically and how they decide. But ultimately we are all born to love, as I mentioned, right. you know. Did you watch The Social Dilemma? So we started it and uh, we haven't finished it yet. You haven't finished no. it yet? That is... Yeah, that 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 movie or whatever documentary. It's amazing how quick everything moves because mm -hmm. I watched that and like listened to it and was like super concerned. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you sit around for a little while and you're like, well, life goes on. Yeah. And nothing's <laughs> changing right now. Yeah. So I'm not going to change. Um, but it is like seriously concerning. Yeah. Yeah. What I, um, it's interesting cause I can see if, if I'm talking to somebody on the phone or my friends, if there's something in my life intense that's going on that I need to share with my friends, all of a sudden I start to see on my Facebook feed, like ads for something that's related to what I'm experiencing. It's really, really interesting. My daughter said that she did a little test and, um, she and her boyfriend were just saying the word cat food over and over and over again with her phone there. Mm hmm and all of a sudden she started to see ads on social media about cat food, you know? So that is concerning the amount that we're getting spied on. Yeah. Um, and we're just sucked into these phones, you know, all the time. There's part of our lives, you know, we can't leave home without them almost yeah. sometimes, you know? Um, and it's tough. I mean, I grew up most of my life or not, no, I guess not anymore. I don't know. I'm trying to think of when I got a cell phone. It was Probably like, like 2000s. I mean, not an I, iPhone was like 2007. Yeah. But so, yeah. So that's when they started really spying yeah. on us. But even before that, you know, I still would always have my cell phone. I think I was, it was 1999. I remember actually, cause I was working in the nightclub and my boss bought me a phone. And so that's uh, like 22 years ago. So it's actually about half my life. I've had a cell phone half without, right. but now it's like, yeah, I leave the house. I'm like, well, what if my, my wife needs me or my daughter needs me or my mom or dad need me, you know, yeah. I need to have my phone. Whereas when I grew up, like even as a young adult, like people just got a hold of me at my home whenever I got home, you right. know, like we survived, you know? Yeah. It's like, now you're like, well, there's <laughs> definitely going to be an emergency yeah. while I'm gone. Exactly. And there almost never is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if I have to wait for my son for five minutes, you know, like, oh, now I can't get on my, you know, I don't just scroll on something, right. something that's useless, you know? Yeah. It's like a great way to connect people and to market and, and different things. But ultimately it's such a, a time killer and it just yeah. sucks your energy. So We've both been, without finishing the social dilemma yet, you know, we've both been very conscious, especially my wife. Um, she's been very conscious about just putting down the phone at a certain time. And, and that's really helped with our relationship and our yeah. relationship with our son as well. Cause he, he would make comments to her like, you're always on your phone. And you know, yeah. And, Lachlan does that too. To yeah. Some of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult because like some of it you can warrant, like you're like my mom, 
does a lot of her marketing and stuff through Facebook and right. stuff for the restaurant. So she's on it and she's replying to reviews and all mm -hmm. of that stuff. So you're, you have to really try and find a time when it's like, okay. Yeah. But it's difficult. And watching that, the, the main thing that scared me was like the people that created them were addicted to them. Yeah. And you're like, well, I'm screwed. Yeah. Because I didn't make this. I don't even understand how it works. Mm -hmm. And they know exactly how it works. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard this. I don't know how accurate it is, but I've heard Bill Gates and even Steve Jobs when he was alive, like they didn't let their kids have electronic devices when they were growing up because really? they knew the addictive qualities to them. So again, that's something that I've, I heard like in a, some kind of documentary or something, but you know, it's kind of like debt. Yeah. The creators of debt, like despise the idea of debt, mm -hmm. but they created it yeah. to make more money. Exactly. Yep. Cause they know it's not healthy. Yeah. yeah. Create this product. Like just like cigarettes or alcohol, anything like, you you know, like, especially cigarettes, like they don't do anybody really any good. No. They just kill somebody, at least with a drink, you know, if you can have one drink and relax and socialize, but you know, these people make this product and you know, they turn a blind eye because of money. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I think Apple is doing something really interesting. Have you heard about what Apple's doing? What? Apple is going to make it so that, you can, your phone will tell you exactly what the apps are doing mm. when it, like they're going to release this update and Facebook is like losing it because really? they're going to lose like half of their income wow. based on this one decision. And Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple is just like, you guys don't deserve to just like spy on people 24 yeah. seven and then direct market. You can market towards people, mm. but it doesn't have to be so direct right. and blatant. Mm. Um, and so like they're in this huge battle right now, Facebook and Apple, really? because, because Apple's just like, you know what? We take privacy really seriously mm. and uh, <clears throat> we want our users to be, be able to choose whether or not they're going to opt into something like this. Wow. So that's great. Yeah. It's good super to hear. Interesting. Yeah. Cause you, you know, you get these updates on the terms and conditions and like, I'm not reading this. No. Like I'm still going to use, you know, social media, yeah. um, at least at this point, but you know, so that's good that they're fighting back. And I think a lot of things are shifting that way. And that's that kind of that new age of being more like, like, Hey, let's do something that's actually good for people yeah. instead of taking advantage of them the way that you're doing just to make more money. Yeah. You know? I think it's like a kind of a balance. It just swings back and forth like a pendulum. Mm -hmm. Like we go far one way and then we yeah. come back the yeah, other like way. Politics. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. It's just going to keep going. Yeah. Like <laughs> even like fashion does it. I think that the podcast is a really good, um, displayer of it because it's, it's evolved, but it's like, it's pretty much radio, mm -hmm. but it's evolved. Yeah. So everything's just, it's like a cycle. Mm -hmm. We go from, um, radio to video to written word back to radio, you know, like mm -hmm. I think there's cycles in just about everything that we do. Yeah. Totally. Um, and yeah, we'll just continue to see it out. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you think about it, you know, just politically, you know, we went, let's say from Bush to Obama to Trump to Biden. And it's mm -hmm. just, it is this pendulum that goes back and forth, yeah. you know, 
Um, and it's going to continue in, unless we decide we're going to stop participating or demand that there's some kind of change. Yeah. And the more aware we are that we do have power to, if not make change at the highest level, um, to at least plant the seeds that future generations can do it. But also we can still live in our lives. We can create the world that we want, yeah. you know, despite what's going around um, outside of it, you know. Yeah, that's very true. I think there's a lot of growth that we can have, but we all like, you need to coach everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm working towards. <laughs> trying to yeah deliver messages on a bigger platform. So yeah. I appreciate this. Yeah, no problem. I mean, yeah. mine's not super big, but it's, <laughs> it's great sitting down to talk with you. And, yeah. Same. Um, Likewise. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it's it's a been, pleasure. it's been a great conversation. Yeah. Um, and I look forward to hopefully doing it again. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Let me know. I'm ready. Alrighty. Thank you. Thank you.